In fact, uh, we could just dissect that song to be my message this morning, really. Uh, great, uh, great theology in that worship, uh, worship song. Well, this morning we have an opportunity to continue our series in Knowing God, and uh, there is no greater pursuit than that. And so before we do that, let's look to the Lord in prayer and ask that we might, as we've just heard sung, uh, hunger for that and that one who can only satisfy our soul. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for expressions of faith in so many different ways. And one of the expressions of faith can be put to a tune and to um, words that are joined together that give beauty as well as praise to the truth. And Father, we pray, as the the Bible tells us, that we should have a melody in our heart uh, that speaks of what is in our heart, that we might know what is true about the one who can enter into our heart. And Father, we just ask as we look in your word today that you might speak into our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, that song really only has significant meaning is if the words are speaking to truth. That there is the Father who can bestow his blessings upon his people. As we have begun this series on knowing God, and it's about the third or fourth week that we're into it, it really always assumes that what we're talking about is is true that there's reality and genuineness to our faith um, many people b- put their faith in so many things in life and as they examine them later on they find out that no matter how fervent their faith was it was placed in that which was not true i was sharing this in the first service and it, i got all these blank stares at me so we'll see if this works any better in the first or second service you remember in those uh, days when uh, the um, the scientific community and actually the public at large became convinced that there was intelligent life on Mars. Anybody remember that? They all laughed at me like I was making that up in the first service. And yeah, I, I remember that diligently. I remember um, they, they talked about they had mapped out Mars and all the canals and, and passageways that were throughout that planet. Okay, some of you can remember that, all right? Well, I, I was reading about that this weekend, and I was thinking, well, how did that happen, you know? Um, we think all those TV programs came out about Martians, you know, friendly Martians and stuff like that, is that, uh, you know, we even had funny cartoons about it where people would fly on saucers and they would be green and tiny and there'd be a little antenna coming out of their head, remember that? Uh, well, that was kind of a comical way to look at, at Martians, but there was a significant group that really believed that there was intelligent life there. And the reason was, as I was doing some reading this, this past week, is that a scientist named Peter Lowell, had done some extensive um, research, and he became the leading scientist in that particular area. And he had published, now this is a few years back for, for most of us, if not all of us here, in 1906, uh, he had published his first book on Mars and the Canals, and then later on he wrote a second book, Mars as the Abode of Life. And then it proceeded to go on, it had a life of itself, as he began that whole trek that way, and then others picked it up as well. But they were fascinated that he took the, the, the most um, powerful telescope of that day and looked up at Mars and began to trace all the, the passageways and canals that he could see. Well, it wasn't until the 1960s where we sent out some of our, uh, our spaceships up there, uh, Mar- Mariner 4 in 1965 and Mariner 9 in 1972, that we began to realize that all that he had seen was not there. And so they began to look back and say, well, what, what was it that he saw that he had mapped out so distinctly in his uh, research? And he was a pretty significant scientist, so people initially believed whatever he wrote and said. Well, they discovered he really had an eye problem. 
And what he had seen when he was looking through the telescope was not the, the surface of Mars, but the back of his eyeball. And what he had seen were the tributaries of his blood vessels, and he had mapped that all out and presented that as what Mars looked like. Now, we laugh now, but think about all those scientists who went down that trek with him, all right, and all the public who bought in that somehow there's life on that planet. Now, as we think about that, it's one thing to get wrong about a few things that might be up, up there in outer space, but how much more is it, is, it, is it sobering to think that people can pursue life and miss God? And so what we've done in this series is try, try to start at, at first base as far as looking at, well, what... What should we know about God? And some were asked me this week, why, why do you ask the question, what is God? That almost sounds offensive. You know, what is God? Why didn't you just say, who is God? And we did get to who is God. Because, again, we, we should really assume nothing when we pursue knowledge. And to pursue, pursue knowledge of anything, you have to get down to the basics. I remember um, it was um, Vince Lombardi when he was coaching the Green Bay Packers who weren't very good when he got there. And he, he began his first practice and, he, and he, he picked up this thing that had pigskin around it. He said, this men is a football. And then he proceeded to build his team around that. And if you kn knew nothing about uh, basketball, and I said, I want to talk to you about the greatest basketball player who ever lived and whoever you want to fill in the blank, probably most people would say Michael Jordan. If you knew nothing about basketball, you wouldn't have any idea what a basketball player is, so you'd start at what is a basketball and what is a basketball player. And so as we began, we, we tried to ask the question, what is God? Before you put your faith in God, well, what is he? And even this simple definition that we gave is a definition that, that is, is fundamental if you're going to worship that which is true about the supreme being in this universe. And of course, as we think about this, we, we have a textbook from which we are getting all our data. If, if um, you know, some have said recently that, that every, every person on this planet ought to be a theologian. In, in many ways, all of us are to one degree or the other. We're either a good theologian or a bad theologian. And we don't have to be, have to be um, somehow overwhelmed by that term theologian because the word theologian simply means a person who studies God, studies theos. Theos is a Greek word for God. Ology, you know, is a study of. If it's biology, you're studying life, bios. If you're, if you're studying um, God, it's theos. And, and so as we think about that, who is God? And we, we've submitted this definition. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, completely full of wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And yes, this will be on the test. You have to have that memorized. No. It is, that gives, it's not a, a comprehensive definition, but it, it's a pretty fundamental, basic idea. What is this supreme being we're talking about? He's not limited by physical uh, limitations, and that's why the Bible declares very clearly God is spirit. And even though some people think he's just simply a glorified man, that's not who God is. And as we think about that, he was not once like we were. So he is, as we think about who he is, he is infinite. He's not finite. He's always been here. And he's not going to change like we do. And he's full of every attribute you can imagine that is worthy of someone that you would worship. So that's who God is. That is, that, that is what God is. Well, who is God? 
And as we think about that, as we went through that, we, we, took, we went to the textbook, and the Bible describes God in that way. Well, who is God? And the Bible describes who God is in this way. God is one. He's one in essence. We don't believe that God is in everything, and we don't, think, we don't believe that God is everything. We believe that, that God is one. He's one in essence. He permeates everywhere, but he's not, he's not everything. He is the creator of everything. God is one in essence, but the Bible says he's three in person. And, and that begins to give us a picture of who God is. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. And we've talked about what does it mean that God is the Father, God is the Son, and then we're going to be doing, doing seven weeks and looking at how is God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And each one of these personages of the Godhead, and it's hard to even describe how we describe the details of, of, of the Godhead, but it gives us, again, another window into the, the soul or, or the heart of who God is. We've given a general definition, but we even know more about God when we consider how God has revealed who He is. He is a Father, He's a Son, and He's the Holy Spirit. And as we looked at God being the Father, and we took some time looking at that, no matter whether you've had a good father or a bad father, it, it can still give you a picture of the supreme being in the universe. If He's a good father, you can just be so uh, filled with praise that no matter how good a father you've had, God is a gooder father, all right? Bad grammar, but good theology. He, he is, he's so much more good than any father that's ever been on this planet. And if you've had a bad father, no matter how bad an experience you've had with your father, God is so much not like that. And so we looked at God as being the protector and the provider and, and being the, the loving, good daddy. And that speaks about the intimacy, intimacy that we, we can have with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, it speaks about that, that we might know the love of the Father. And, and so as we, as we get to know God, that, that ought to be in our heart and our mind. And that's, that's been part of my desire as, as I've been going through the series preaching and teaching this, is that, that I, would, I would understand God so much more as I understand the fatherhood of God. That He, he is my protector. He is my provider. He is the one I can run to and not have to run from. And then we looked last week uh, briefly at, at uh, knowing God the Son. And, of course, that could be a series that would last forever because really that's what this book is all about, is about the full revelation of who God is. And, and there is no fuller revelation of who God is than, than Jesus. And, and really that's what we need to understand about God wanting us to know Him. We, we, would, we could only know about Him unless He came down and revealed Himself fully. You know, it's interesting as you think about the Jewish people and as God inspired them to write the Old Testament, often they would not describe God so much in words but in word pictures. If they want to describe uh, God being that which we can have stability in our life with as we know him, he, they would describe God as the rock. Okay. And, and if they wanted to know, describe how, how personal we could get with God, God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And, and so we experience 
the, who God is by, by word pictures. But no matter how many word pictures we would use, unless, unless God invaded history and became a, became a man, we would, again, be so short of understanding him as fully as we can. And so in many ways, and just taking a moment here to kind of review here, but also to kind of speak to the, to the, the again, the emphasis of Jesus uh, as far as knowing God. If we get Jesus wrong, we get God wrong. If, if, we, if we don't understand that God became a man and was fully man and fully God and lived here on earth for 33 years, if we don't understand this is God revealed, we'll always get God wrong. As you wrestle with that, now obviously we got the, the Word of God that speaks to that. But one of the things, I think Josh McDowell was the one that kind of emphasized this way of approaching and understanding that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He, he, I really like the if-then proposition. If God became a man, then what would he be like? And the answer is the answer you should always give in church. He would just be like who? Jesus. And that really kind of speaks about the whole message here. If you want to know who God is, just look at Jesus. And even in our, our definition that we gave in terms of, of what is God, Jesus was completely wise, full of wisdom. Whenever he taught, they were amazed at what he said. Not only because of his authority, but because of the content and the wisdom of what he said. His power, there was nothing miraculous he could not do. Even when the disciples, and we don't know why the disciples sometimes could do miracles, sometimes could not. It's possible that when they could not, they were relying upon their past experience and they thought they put their trust in their gift rather than the giver of the gift. You understand the distinction there? But whenever Jesus had a hard case, and let me just say this. Today when people talk about coming to healing you know, services and whatever it might be, let me tell you, there's a lot of people who go to those services that don't get what? They don't get healed. But when people came to Jesus, they always got healed. Because he was God. And you look at any attribute you could think of in terms of, well, what would God be like if he came and became a man? Jesus, he meets every, every qualification, every criteria. And so as we think about knowing God, it's all about knowing Jesus. And that's why this book centers on Jesus. And, and we looked at it, and I'm not gonna I'm gonna resist the temptation of repreaching last week's message. Sometimes when I when I have a long introduction, because I think, you know, I didn't do good enough last week, so I better do it again, you know. But you know, who is Jesus? He, he's, he's God. He's the Savior. He's Lord. He's the judge. But what we talked about, he's the gracious one. And and you can just you can just remind yourself about that window into the, the presence of God in your life. He's the one who gives you that which you do not deserve. And it's at the point of relationship and throughout your life. You know, the Bible says that, that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you are aware that this past week my daughter um, had, a, had a serious surgery. And before she went in, I, you know, I, I, you know, as a, as a dad, I said, man, if I could give you anything in my body that would prevent you from having to go through the surgery, or you could take what I have and just replace it with whatever's defective in your body, I'd give it to you. And in fact, I even said that to her, you know, and I just said it 
with all you know honesty and and passion and and commitment to her and then you know few hours later and she wasn't in the room and I was like you know that was a pretty neat thing for a dad to say to his wife to his daughter and then I thought well okay and then and kind of God impressed in my heart said well what's so impressive about that you know you love your daughter I was willing to give everything to people that were unloving unlovable that did not deserve whatever I gave them you know, how, how, how quick would I be if some stranger came off, you know, the street and, and needed something, you know, that I could have taken out of my body, but I'd give them to him quickly and easily. See, Jesus gave us what we did not deserve. He sacrificed for us. You know, Jesus said, you know, it's, it's easy to love people who love you back, but how about loving people who are your enemies? And so as we think about the heart of God and we think about who God is, that he, he sent his son that we might know him as God, as Savior, as our Lord. He, he calls the shots. He is the one who's going to be the judge of our life. But he's the gracious one. He gives us what we don't deserve. Well, this morning what we want to do, and we're, we're just launching this part of the series, and we're going to try to look at it from a number of different angles, and that's why we're uh, uh, encouraging you to read through the book Forgotten God, and this week read through a chapter, and, and it will, won't always take the path I'm going on on a particular Sunday. But what we really want to focus on that part of who God is and the personage of the third person of the Trinity, uh, the, Trinity the Holy Spirit, and, and knowing Him. And He is often the forgotten God. We think about the Father, we think of the Son, but what about the Holy Spirit? Well, let's look at it this morning in uh, the minutes we have left. Number one. Knowing the one God as Holy Spirit. And just like we looked at the Son, it's so important to know that the Holy Spirit is God. Because if He's not, then He's not a part of the Godhead. And we can look at it in a variety of different ways, and this is just a simple way to look at it, because it makes reference to Him clearly as God. Look at Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And so we have the, the backdrop here is a couple in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira was his wife, and they had watched Barnabas give everything in terms of the land he had sold, and they, they thought, well, that's a pretty neat thing, so we'll do it as well. But what they did is they lied about it. They only gave part of it, which was fine. They didn't have to give all of it, but they said they did one thing, and they actually did another. And so Peter uh, comes up to him and said, you know, we've we got to deal with this. We don't want people lying in church, and so we're going to confront this. So they, they confront Ananias about that and say, why did you do this? You, you didn't have to. Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And you gave Pat part of the land uh, that for yourself. And while it remained, was it not your own? You didn't have to do this. God only wants people who are cheerful and voluntarily giving to his program. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? You could have kept whatever you wanted. Just don't say one thing and do another. But then here, the, the, the key thing here, he says, Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? God. Well, he said he lied to the Holy Spirit, and then he said he said lied to God, because the two were the same. I was thinking about this. This is kind of a digression here for a moment. You know, you know there, there are a lot of neat names in the, Bi in the Bible for guys. You know, there's... You know, Peter, James, and John, and Matthew, Mark, and Timothy. And the one I like the best is 
Michael, you know, Michael was an angel. He wasn't just an angel, he was an archangel. You know, there's a lot of great names. But I was thinking, you know, there aren't as many, there are some good names for women in the Bible, but not as many. Have you found that out? There aren't, there aren't as many. You know, when, when, uh, my daughter, my one and only daughter, we named her Cindy, and her middle name is Anne. Kind of, we kind of wanted to get close to at least one person in the Bible, kind of the, the person who was praying as Jesus was coming, the 84-year-old. But, um, so her name is Cindy Ann, and, and when we were trying to figure out names, we were thinking, well, what should we name her? You know, we can name her Cindy, or we can name her Sapphira, or we can name her Jezebel. What should we name her? <laughs> you know, there aren't as many good names in the Bible for women. I mean, that's just my perspective on that. But, but you know, as, as you think about it, is that, that God wants us to know who he is. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, his name is God. That's who he is. He's not just a power. You know, what is it, Star Wars, may the force be with you? He's not just a force. And you, you can't lie to a force. You can't lie to something that's inanimate. Any of you here, any of you ever lost your phone or your keys? Anybody ever done that? And you know, um, I'm the only one here. Okay, anyway, you, you know, you lose it, and then, you, and then you're, just, you're just going everywhere to find it. And as you're looking to find, you say, I'm never going to do this again. If I ever find my phone or ever find my keys, I'm always going to put in the same spot every time. So I'll never lose it, you know, when I'm at home. And, it'll, I'll always, and, and you, you just start talking that way. And then you find your phone. Then you find your keys. And, and maybe in a fit of emotion, you, you, tell, you even tell your phone, I will never lose you again. Right? Well, then you lose it again. Now, when you find it again, you don't say, I'm sorry I lied to you. <laughs> you, know? you never say that because you can't lie to your phone. You can't lie to your keys. But when we, when we do not follow after the Spirit's leading in our lives, and, and when we promise God something and then we don't follow through, you know, we're lying to a person. And so as we think about the Holy Spirit, he's, he's a person who is God. Who is the Holy Spirit and what do we need to know about him? No, he's the Holy Spirit. Now, let, let's look at some specific things about the Holy Spirit. Number two, know, that the Holy Spirit, know the Holy Spirit as glorifier of Christ. Now, I'm just going to kind of back step from what I had said earlier about the Holy Spirit being the forgotten God. What, what really is the major role of the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus sent for us? Look at John 16, 12 through 14. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And, of course, I guess Jesus was the, the, the master teacher, and when he, he knew that they could not learn anymore, he stopped. Okay? Not like some preachers or teachers. If we've got it, we're going to give it, whether you want to hear it or not. All right? So he would stop when they couldn't hear anymore. And he goes on, he says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. So the Holy Spirit is a dispenser of truth. But then he talks about the subject of the, his truth. He will, he being the, glory, uh, the Holy Spirit, will glorify who? Me. And who is that? That's Jesus. Okay? He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. In, in some ways, churches like ours, in some ways, um, uh, have been known as being uh, churches that don't emphasize the Holy Spirit enough. And that's probably a true accusation. We should be talking more about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is, is that which enables us to live out what God has put in. But on the other hand, we need to understand when we are really immense in the Holy Spirit, 
the subject of our light and the subject of our speech will all be about Jesus. Isn't that true? That's why the Jesus answer in church is so, so often the right answer because that's what it's supposed to be all about. And so when we think about the forgotten God, he will be forgotten in some senses because he's not trying to glorify himself. He's trying to glorify Jesus. Now, in some ways, you might be thinking, well, 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 that doesn't make sense. If he's equal with Jesus and the Father is equal with Jesus, shouldn't they all get equal time? Does that make more sense? Well, the reason I don't think that is why God is in God's program, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one in essence, why? because Jesus is the one who fully declares who God is. And if you don't get Jesus right, you're not going to get anything right about God. And, and so he is the one and, and, that we're driven to, to know God in a personal way. So the Holy Spirit will always be about magnifying. That's what glorifying means. It's, it's taking that what you see and making sure you see it as big as you can. And in one sense, we, we never make Jesus bigger than he is because he's the biggest you can imagine. But we can hide people from seeing Jesus clearly. And the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Christ. So when we are controlled by the Spirit, that's what will happen in our lives. People will see Jesus in us. The topic of, 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 of discussion will not be the Holy Spirit. It will be about Jesus. So as we know God, and we know Him as the Father, we know Him as the Son, we know Him as the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will drive us to talk about Jesus. Thirdly, know the Holy Spirit as helper. Uh, listen to what he says in John 14, 15 through 17, and John 16, 7. He said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, if you've read anything on this passage or heard preachers talk about this passage, they'll, they'll talk about that word another. There's a couple of Greek words here that could be used uh, for the word another. This is the word alos, which is used for another of the same kind. So when Jesus was saying this, okay, I, I want you to know I'm going to give you a gift, and this gift I'm going to give you is going to be as good as me. I'm going to give you another helper. When I've been here, I, have I helped you at all? And they all go, yeah, you've helped us all the time. You do everything, you know. And, and he says, well, I'm going to send you a helper equivalent to me. And, and we'll talk a moment about what that word helper means. But let's just read on. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it never either sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. And, and both are put here. This helper is going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. And that's the clue for understanding this next statement we're going to read, and which is probably the most unbelievable thing Jesus has ever said. You be the judge on that. I mean, that's just an opinion. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I, what? Go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, at first hearing this, if you were one of the 12 disciples, would, would you have believed this? Because he, he's, he's not just giving an action statement. He's giving a, a reason for the action statement. It's going to be better for you that I take off. And, and they had to be thinking, come on now, Jesus. We, we've been with you for three years now. And, and, 
we've seen you do the miraculous, and we've seen you give us the power to do the miraculous. We've been in fearful situations, and in your presence, fear was run out of our lives. Whenever you were in our presence, we could could do amazing things. We, We were filled with peace. We were filled with joy. We were filled with purpose. We felt we could take on anything. Remember Peter? I mean, when they went to arrest Jesus, uh, what did he do? He took out a little dagger, and he was going to fight that whole legion that went to get, get Jesus. He, he would have taken on the whole Roman Empire. Why? Because Jesus was with him. Now, when Jesus wasn't with him, he was afraid of a what? A little servant girl. And, and, and so you're trying to tell Peter, it's going to be better for you that I'm not around. And the answer to that is yes, even though that was so unbelievable. And that's why Jesus would say, I'm telling you the truth. Because he was just about to say something that they would say, this can't be true. This can't be true that it's better for me to take off. Now he explains that. He said, well, the reason it's going to be better for you is because I'm going to send you again. The helper who's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. And then some of the things should have been beginning to make sense to them. Well, yeah, I know now that you're here... Uh, and we're in your presence almost all the time, there are sometimes you take off, and we don't even know where you went. And sometimes you're praying, and sometimes you're just escaping the crowd, and sometimes you're falling asleep in the boat, and when that happens, man, everything goes wrong. And he said, well, that's why it's better for me to take off, because I'm going to send you someone that will always be with you and always in you. Because when Jesus came, he took on the physical limitations at that point, of being a man. He was fully man and fully God. And so, at least in their presence, he could not always be as the God-man. But as I'm sending you someone who's always going to be with you, and that person I'm going to send with you is going to be your helper. Now, do, do any of you ever need help at times? Man, it's, it's amazing how often we, we need help. And... and it's, it's nice. In, in fact, the word helper, it's the word paraclete, not the parakeet, not a bird, but paraclete, which in the Greek word, it simply means to, kaleo means to call, and para means alongside, so it's called alongside. So what the Holy Spirit does, he, he's that person who's going to help you by being next to you when you need help. Now, there, there are times we need help. Maybe we're trying to do something, and we at that moment we're, we feel incapable of doing it. To me, it's like if I have to put together a jigsaw puzzle more more than eight pieces, you know, I need help. I, I can't understand you guys thinking it's fun to put a thousand pieces together. I just, it just, well, anyway. But you know, there, if I'm going to do a puzzle, someone's going to have to come alongside me and help me. But maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something that you're trying to put together from IKEA. Anybody buy any IKEA stuff? You know. You know, they don't come pre-put together. You've got to put it together. And, and if some of you are so good at it, you can put the pieces together without, you know, without any help. But I'm, you know, I'm putting it together, and it's not working. So then if it's not working, then at least I guess I ought to look at the instructions. And then you read the instructions. And sometimes the instructions are really clear and helps you put it together. And sometimes you read the instructions, and you're more confused now than you were before, right? And, and so what you need is not some abstract document that, says words that you're not kind of, kind of connecting with. You want someone to come alongside you and help you. And see, that's what the Spirit does for us. 
And, and there's so many. And what's interesting too is, is sometimes not only do you need help on a singular project, but you need to help on a project or a part of your life that happens over and over and over again. And, and probably we'll have more of you relate to me on this one than, than maybe in the first service. But, you know, when I'm having problems with my computer, you know, I can look at the manual, and I have looked at the manual, and sometimes look at the manual, and it makes no sense to me. And I'll call somebody up, and they say, well, just play with the computer. Just play with it, and you'll get it, you'll get it make it to work. I say, I don't want to play with it. I just want it to work, all right? And so I have to call up a friend who's good at it. And I say, will you come and sit alongside me and tell me what things to push? And they come, and they get, they, oh, man, that was pretty simple, just do that. And then maybe a month later, I can't get it to work again, and I have to call them alongside. Say, Look, I just told you last week or last month how to do this. I know, but I what? I forgot. And so they got to come again. And see, that's how the Spirit works in our lives, isn't it? There are certain things in our life that we're still remedial, you know, we're still working on, and, and we got to go back to Him and have Him help us and come alongside. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is our helper who is not giving us some abstract information that we have to wrestle with all on our own. He's, he's in us and with us to help put this into practice. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, and we need to know Him as God. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the glorifier of Christ. It's all about Jesus. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's our helper. And then quickly this morning, who is the Holy Spirit? He's our source of power. Now, I told you earlier, he's not just power, he's not just force, but he is the enabler, he is the equipper, he is the energizer, he is the one who, who allows us to be able to do what he's called us to do and to be. And I want to give you just four quick areas, and we'll see some of these again as we continue on in the series. But one of the things he, he gives us empowerment for is to witness, to represent Christ well. Uh, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. That, that we can speak out to our friends and neighbors and people we know and people we don't know and just talk to them about Christ. And, and what he does is sometimes we don't, we don't feel like it or we don't feel able to, to do it. And he says, Let's just start, and I will give you the, the, the enablement, the power to do it. This week I was at an In-N-Out, and I was, just, I was doing some reading, and all of a sudden this person came and said, oh, what kind of book is that you're reading? And I really didn't want to get in a conversation, but the book was about some spiritual things, and all of a sudden we got in a spiritual conversation. Now, how did that happen? Because the Spirit just led me into that. And, and so it's allowing us to speak about Jesus or to live for Jesus, to forgive a person we don't want to forgive, to, to love a person that's highly unlovable. And, and God gives us the power to represent Christ well. Secondly, uh, he gives, He's the source of power to serve. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says that there are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. And, and so we need to think of ourselves, if we know the Lord God in a personal way, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, is that we are gifted. So often we think of that as being like a person who's, who's filled with pride. Well, I'm a very gifted person. But the Bible says you are a gifted person, uniquely able to serve the body of Christ and others because the Spirit of God has given you the ability to do so. Thirdly, uh, to have assurance. I, I have the wrong reference down in your outline. It's not Romans 8, 17, though that's a great verse. Romans 8, 16 says, um, 
But the Spirit gives witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And see, as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it, really what, what the Holy Spirit does, it, it, uh, it, He, what He does, it, he, he allows us to live out the promises of Christ for us. You know, Jesus said that, that, that He came to give us life and life more abundantly, might be full and meaningful. How does that happen? It happens as the Holy Spirit lives within us. And, and you're not going to have a full life with God if you're always doubting your relationship with Him. And so part of the, the confidence that we have that we really know him and, and that we're not somehow in this limbo stage, well, I hope I know him, I hope I don't know him, I hope I know him, but do I really know him? I hope I know him, I hope I, I, hope I don't, I hope I, he's not out of my life, is that he wants to give us confidence that we're one of his children. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit, that which is on the inside, that we are truly children of God. And if you're not really sure of your relationship with God, then don't leave this place without talking to someone who you really trust knows Jesus so they can help you have confidence that you really know him. Because the Spirit does that for his children, a confidence that we know him. And there's all kinds of attacks of the evil one and all kinds of things that happen in our lives that can cause us to doubt our relationship with God. But God doesn't want us to doubt our relationship with God. He wants us to really know we know him. And then fourthly, it's not only a power to witness, to serve, to have assurance, but to live the Christian life. See, see the Christian life isn't, as someone has said, is not, um, the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. The only way to live the Christian life is the Spirit of God living His life out through you. And the Bible says in Galatians 5.16, and we'll look at this passage probably other times throughout this series, uh, where just the front part of that section says, I say then walk by the Spirit and you shall not carry out the, the desires or the lusts of the flesh. See, we fall into the habits of the old life. We fall into doing things that dishonor God because we're walking according to our own desires and not the desires of the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God needs to clean up the mess in our lives. But when He cleans up the mess, He gives us what's best. And what's best is the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And, and when you think about well, what did he just describe here? When he described that the fruit of walking with the Spirit, the one who helps you on the inside and is always with you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who really was he describing there? This is the answer you should always say in, in church. Jesus, right? He said, I, I want you to understand, when you, when, you, when you live the Christian life, it's living by the power of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit will produce who Jesus is in your life. I mean, who, is, who, who expressed love at, at the most deep and full way than anyone else who ever lived on this earth? It was Jesus. Who, and we often don't think of it, who was filled with more joy than anyone else on this earth? It was Jesus. He could even say, because of the joy set before me, I endured the cross. He, was really, he, he even had joy going to the cross. He did not like the process, but because of what happened, he was filled with joy. Uh, who experienced more peace than anybody? Jesus did. And, and so as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us power who gives us help, who talks about Jesus in our lives. 
and he is a personal God for us. I have one last statement on your outline this morning. It says, walking in the Holy Spirit is both critical and progressive. We understand that either we're walking the Spirit or not walking the Spirit. Either we're filled with the Spirit or not filled with the Spirit. But it's progressive in that, that it's an ongoing relationship with God that begins to clean up the mess and give, give us what is best. God's not finished with us yet. He will never be finished with us until we see him face to face. And so this is a progressive thing. As God takes out those things in our life that dishonor him and puts those things in our life that honor him. So what's the point this morning? Do you know the Holy Spirit and have you experienced him revealing his life and, and empowering his life in your life? Have you ever had the experience of uh, someone mistaking you for somebody you're not? I was uh, visiting someone in the hospital this week and I just happened to have on the, the shirt that my son, who I told you before, had, uh, had been working for ESPN in Brazil during the Soccer World Cup. And he brought home to me one of the, the shirts that the players and coaches had. And so I was in the elevator, and I, and I had that shirt on, and, and all of a sudden, right before, I was alone in the elevator, and then this mother and two children came, one was a junior higher, and came in and got in the elevator with me, and the junior higher started just looking at me like this. And then he, he looked at my shirt, and he goes, uh, uh, that, was, that was a tough loss to Belgium uh, when you were in the World Cup. I go, yeah, it really was. It really was a tough game. <laughs> I don't think he thought I was a player. He might have thought I was a coach or something like that. But, you know, because I had the authentic, you know, shirt for the World Cup, he thought I was somehow connected to that team. You know, you know it, as, as kind of funny as that can be, you know, we, we can have people think we – what we are is what we're not really. But when we have the Spirit of God leading and guiding and directing our lives, people will not be mistaken that we have something in our life that they should want and should have. And they'll see, begin to see Jesus in us because the Spirit lives in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might be a people that really know you. And as the psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants our souls for you, O God. And Father, we pray as we study the Holy Spirit, we pray that we might not simply know about him, but we might know him and his work in our lives. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know for a certainty where they stand with Jesus, we pray that they might talk with someone before they leave that they might know the gift that can be given through, through your Son. Father, we thank you so much. You loved us so much that you sent us not only Jesus, but then Jesus sent us the Helper. Help us want to have him lead our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. If you'd like to talk with somebody.